So uh, you are aware that last Sunday, what we basically did for those of us who are still in the holiday, we, 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 we declared some petitions and prayers before the Lord, the things that we desire for ourselves. I think one of the key things coming out of that is um, the thing about shifting from worry to seeking, right? Uh, I, think that, I think that's big for us. We've been talking about that. We, were, we had a, a retreat, um, eldership couples retreat, uh, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. Uh, and, and that phrase kept coming, shifting from worrying to seeking. The thing about worry is that worry sucks your energy. You can't seek if you're worrying. You can either worry or seek. Um, and so the thing about us and the thing that we feel the Lord is encouraging us to do and to be this year in 2023 is to the discipline of uh, coming out of a space of worrying and stepping into a space of seeking. Uh, Jesus clearly in his teaching in Matthew chapter 6 says you can't do both. You can't worry and seek all at the same time. You're either worrying or seeking. You can either do one, you know, uh, one thing at a time. And so um, and that scripture that, uh, you know, that was my first exhortation to us beginning of the year, uh, uh, I sent out that message around Matthew chapter 6. You can't serve two masters. Uh, you can either serve God. You can't serve both God and money. And Jesus is really dealing with issues of um, um, uh, uh, personal well-being and making, uh, making sure that we're dethroning the God of personal well-being, not worrying you know, about you know, food, clothes, and, and what we're drinking. Life is bigger than food. Remember this uh, stuff? Which I think we're still going to, tap into uh, along the way in 2023. But the big thing that Jesus does say there is stop worrying, start, start seeking. Basically, that's the word we get for us. And the word worry meaning to, to, to have your mind disrupted. It's like a, a mental disruption, a state of mind. It's a psychological condition to worry. The other word actually is the word anxiety. How many people have been anxious? You know, when you're anxious, you, you get paralyzed. It's like you can't operate properly because you are in an anxiety mode. Uh, and, and Jesus says, come out of the anxiety mode and stop seeking. Start seeking. And to seek is to pursue God, to inquire of the Lord, uh, to seek. Uh, that word is also described as to plot against life and to plot how the kingdom of God is going to land in your life in whatever department or sphere of your life, whether if you are a young man, young woman, if you are Kiara, if you are Nkazi, you, you're grappling with, how is the kingdom of God landing upon a young woman, uh, upon a girl growing up uh, in the things of God and the things of life? If you're married, you're thinking about how is the kingdom of God landing upon my marriage? The, the word kingdom, remember, is the word to rule the rulership of God. Once we start grappling with the kingdom of God, we are grappling with how is God ruling in my life? How is God ruling inside of my life? And so I think that we call that a big shift for us because there will always be something to worry about, right? Uh, there will always be something that surrounds you, around your personal well-being um, that will want you to be concerned, to be worried. And it's not like, and the scripture is not meant to say that we must be irresponsible all of a sudden and not think about life and not plan about, you know, the Bible does say we must make plans, but make plans by seeking the Lord and seeking counsel. We are clear about that. So that's not the point. The point is a state of mind. Worry versus seeking. Both are the state of mind. You, want, you and I want to find ourselves in a gear, in a mode of seeking and not worrying, not meaning you're not surrounded by some challenge in your life. Yeah? And not meaning you shouldn't sit down and, and consider and make plans in the Lord by seeking counsel from God and from fellow brothers and sisters about how you need to tackle those challenges. So we are not here advocating for passivity. Yeah? We're not here advocating for, oh yeah, I must have to stop planning. I must have stick. The, the, the word is not to stop planning and start seeking. The word is to stop worrying and start seeking. Yeah? And, and I think that's very, very, very important for us. Uh, and so part, that's part of what we declared last Sunday. Um, in, as part of our prayers and petitions for the, you know, before the Lord, we are praying that God will make us a people who seek 
and not a people who worry. Uh, and, and the idea of seeking is, carries with it the idea of confronting challenge. So, so, so uh, instead, of, instead of just simply worrying about challenges of life, you know, confront them. You know, fight, fight them. Confront them. Take them on. Take on the mountains that surround you, you and I, because there's something out there that God is calling us to. And so, and so that was basically last Sunday. There's a couple of other things that we did declare, some of which we're going to touch along the way, um, you know, with it's been beautiful, this, 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 this uh, beginning of this meeting, just with the flow in worship and allowing the Spirit of God to, to rub and the anointing of God to rub you know, against us. And so we want to tap into that and, and uh, let's look into some of the things in the Word of God. So there are three things that I plan to do this afternoon. Firstly, is to talk about the leadership process and talk a little bit about the eldership retreat that we're coming out of. Um, um, and it's a way of updating you about what, what went down uh, inside of the leadership retreat. Who, you know, who, who wants to know what goes down in an elder's retreat? L- last, year, last, year, last year, we went to a place in the Midlands, and uh, it was you know, in the bushes there, you know, you know, you know Midlands, and uh, we found some rods, man, and we were practicing being Moses. <laughs> we, we, we took pictures with rods, like pointing and pointing at the Red Sea. And I think we came back and we pointed at the youth with a rod. <laughs> and things started moving. Things, things started ha- happening. And so, so I, want, I, want to, I want to just give you a, a view into the retreat that we've just had in the last couple of days uh, by going through, I think, some of the, like my summary of what to, went down there. And then secondly, I want to talk a little bit about prophetic indicators of this unfolding season and all these things that my computer gave up. And then thirdly and lastly, I'm going to talk a little bit about stewardship, stewardship of the purpose of God, stewardship of the purpose of God. So, so we went out, um, we were, you know, had this eldership, eldership families retreat, everybody went. You know, elders, wives, children, even Unati, believe it or not, was there and uh, was making her presence felt very, very clearly every single day. Uh, from Tuesday, we got back yesterday. We were meant to come back on Friday. You know that the holiday has been good if you extend it. And uh, it was great. Um, and the idea, the idea of this time away was to be together. First and foremost, to be together in a common space, to, to, to just find ourselves in an unscripted flow of life. Uh, you know, when, when you're still dating, uh, Carl will understand this boss. He's recently found himself in a situation like that. And if you're going to be going out, you put your best perfume, okay? Yeah. You know, you pull your whatever jean that you love and you put your perfume, you put your, you know, cologne. You're going out and, and during that, you know, courtship, it's very much scripted. It's like you're checking out how you're showing up. And it's not, a, that's not a, a bad thing. You know, you, you have to, you know, you know o- offer your best. And if the other party doesn't love your best, then you're in trouble. Um... And you come out of there to get married, and then you have to share a bed together and wake, wake up together. <laughs> and more and more, the scripted life falls away, right? You have to bump into situations. You have to stand in long queues together. And tempers and or issues start playing out. And, and more and more, you have to start to learn to forgive one another. Um, the idea, and there is a principle there, the idea inside of this elder, elders' retreat, and we went out with, with our families, you know, everybody, with our spouses and families, was just to be in a common space for a couple of days uh, to engage in this unscripted life um, and, and to kind of, you know, be in the atmosphere together and see what God would do with it. There wasn't a lot of uh, agenda. We didn't structure too much, uh, you know, uh, what would happen. And I think that 
there are three words that I want to use to capture what then happened. So we did find a, you know, a house that could accommodate 12 people, including Unati. Unati had her own bedroom. So the parents, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a beautiful time. It was an absolutely beautiful time. Very, very significant, I think, uh, in the journey of this eldership. I think there are three words that I want to use to capture, you know, what went down and what are some of the things that God did. And I want, as I present these words, yes, they apply inside of the eldership context, but take them for yourself as well inside of your own journey, inside of your own journey of faith. I think the first word I want to present to you, LSA, around this elders retreat is the word relationship. Or, or relational integration, relationship, the value of relationship. And I was thinking about how Jesus did it with the, with, the, with the disciples who became the apostles. And I want us to read some scriptures just around there to see and to get into, into the mind of Jesus. And to see, and, and again, I have those three components, you know, things to cover, but we, we, we do not have to cover all of those things this afternoon. Um, relationship. So the first component of this, uh, you know, teaching is, is around the elders' re- you know retreat, and this is a way of just reporting back. Uh, this time that we had to be in a common space, to get a house that could accommodate twelve people, and to be together in a couple of days, wake up in the same space, you know, unscripted, you know, have a night, want her things, and crying, and you know, parents grappling with that, and. And, and uh, you know, all of the stuff that comes, with, that comes with children. And I think that God did some amazing things during the, this time. The first of which is relationship or relational integration. I want us to read a couple of scriptures. So we're going to read Luke chapter 6, verses, verses 12 to 16. We're going to read Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. We're going to read John chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. So let's begin by reading in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and verses 12 to 16. This is the time when Jesus has had disciples following him. And now he needs to appoint what we have come to know as the 12 apostles. And so he's pulling out of a company, a, 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 yeah, a group of, 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 of disciples, and he's establishing out of that 12 people. So he's been walking with people, he's been observing people. Uh, you know, there would, be all, there would have been all sorts of names, people that follow Jesus, many people follow Jesus. And out of the big company of disciples, he needs 12 that is going to develop and cultivate into apostleship, into ministry, into mission, into kingdom mission. In Luke chapter 6, in verse 12, it says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So Jesus retreats to be with himself because he's about to appoint to himself these 12 people that are going to be working with him. And we know that, of course, one of them would be Judas Scarlet, interestingly. And so he withdraws, he goes to a mountainside to pray. When morning came, and so he basically has an all-night prayer, and Jesus used to have all-night prayers, solo all-night prayers. Anybody has ever tried solo all-night prayer? You know, I mean, if you fall asleep in a company in all-night prayer, you have no hope to do solo all-night prayer. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. So he, Jesus, the picture is that Jesus has a company of disciples, a big company would have been, that, you know, it, would, it would have been, and he appoints 12 out of the company, whom he designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, so have been given their names. His brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judah, son of James, and Judah Scarot, who became a traitor. 
The idea that we're being told here is that, or given here, is that Jesus withdraws to be with himself and is praying to the Father. The idea is that he's wanting to know from God who should be the twelve. So he's really seeking the mind of God about the twelve. He has had some familiarity with the people that have been following him, and he needs to identify the twelve. The thing we're seeing is the assignment of choosing leaders and how Jesus takes time with himself and with God praying and seeking the mind of God about the 12, which means that God has to be involved, obviously, in the choosing of leaders, right? Yeah? God has to be involved. And so that's the version of Luke. Now, I want us to go to Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. Mark Chapter number 3, verses 13 to 19. So in Luke, we're seeing Jesus withdrawing, being with himself, praying all night, seeking the mind of God about God. I have so many people who are following me. I need to know who are the 12. And God must have given him the 12 names, including Judas Scarlet. Very interesting. Um, uh, and, 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 and Jesus appoints these guys into apostleship the following day the following morning, and the journey begins for them. In Mark chapter 3, if we read from verse 13, it says, Jesus, it's the same story, but a slightly different version. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12. So Jesus went up on a mountainside and, uh, and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, who given their names uh, in verse 17, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name um, uh, Bonages, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, uh, Bartholomew, Matthew, uh, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Scarlet, who betrayed him. So, same story, but there's a slight difference in detail that were given in Mark chapter 3. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called. So, what Mark does not do is Mark does not tell us about the all-night prayer that precedes the choosing of the twelve. But what Mark does do is that he tells us the objective for which these are appointed. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, number one. And that he might send them out, number two. So the first assignment for which these guys are appointed is to walk in relationship with Jesus. Their first commitment would have to be, we want to walk in relationship with you. Their second assignment was the mission of the kingdom, to preach the gospel. And the thing that I want to highlight about that links in this context to our uh, eldership retreat is the whole emphasis of relationship. He appointed them that they might be with him. And in other words, unless these guys were committed to a relational journey, there would be no point for them being appointed apostles. There had to be a commitment to relationship. There had to be a commitment to friendship. There had to be a commitment to working together as a company. You know, where relationship would not be important, then Jesus, these guys were not quite, or would have been disqualified from serving in this team. So Jesus appoints them that they would be with him firstly, and then that they would go out and do all of the stuff that, you know, they, you know, subsequently did. Just driving out demons and preaching and the gospel and all of these things. The value of relationship in a leadership team is absolutely important. Now, remember I said, take that word for yourself. In other words, you want to be a kind of believer that values relationship. You, 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 are, you are brought to the kingdom first and foremost to be with, to be with the person of Jesus, but also to be with the people of Jesus. This journey of faith has to be about relationship. And where relationship becomes... Uh, uh, devalued, it becomes problematic. Jesus appoints these 12 that they might be with him. So these guys could not wake up one day and feel like, oh, I'm tired of this thing of, of hanging out. 
I'm tired of walking in a relationship space. I'm tired of, you know, this thing of having, you know, uh, these hangouts or whether they, were, they used to do brides. Jesus did a lot of fish brides with these guys. They used to hang out and, and do all sorts of things and have con- lots of conversations. And a lot of building ha- took place during those conversations. A lot of wrong things were exposed during those conversations. And a lot of r- those wrong things were fixed during those conversations. In other words, this was not a professional relationship. This was a proper kingdom relationship that was built around the context of God's mission. And so I feel like the one thing that did happen during this time uh, together as we went away was that uh, something absolutely amazing that happened around relationship. We already had friendships, but God re- really went deep during this time. Yep. So can we value relationships in our lives? Uh, absolutely important, because the kingdom is all about relationship. We are saved to be brought to the person of Jesus, but also is eventually, subsequently, you get brought to the people of Jesus. You can't love Jesus and not love his body. You can't love Jesus and not love his people. And if there is a, a sense of devotion towards Christ, then there has to be love towards the people of Christ, which is the church, right? So relationship, we appointed them that they might be with him. So if we combine uh, the versions of Luke chapter 6 and Mark chapter 3, Jesus goes away, he withdraws to himself to a mountain. He has all that prayer in which he's praying to God, God, show me who are the twelve. This God had to be the will of God. God, show me who are the 12. So Jesus, in other words, you know, he's seeking God and seeking the Father, not just about apostles, but about about friendships. He's seeking God and he wants to know, God, who are the 12 that are designed to walk in close proximity to me? And God would have downloaded those names throughout that all-night prayer. Uh, In all all likelihood, Jesus had been observing these guys and you know, was probably presenting the names that he had actually already observed. And so he appoints them, first and foremost, to be with him. To be with him. So the one thing that happened, or the first thing that happened during this time, was relationship. Relationship was absolutely significant during this time. The second word that I want to give you to describe this eldership retreat is the word vulnerability. Vulnerability. It's not a a new word in this church, vulnerability. In Acts chapter 16, we're going to read Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5. This is a story of God joining Paul and Timothy. Vulnerability. Acts, let's go to Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5. Vulnerability. That's not a strange word inside of this church. It's not a new word. But I do feel like this is what happened uh, uh, during this time away um, in, the, in, in, in what we then did talk about as elders and, and as eldership couples and as we sat together in between children and processing God and making sense of God's purpose, vulnerability, I think, characterized our time together. So I want to use a story of God, of God joining Paul and Timothy. And the issue of vulnerability that we see inside of this story. In Acts chapter 16 verses 1 to 5, Paul came to Deb and then to Lystria, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul went to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Quite an amazing story. So we know the context here is that Paul has had a team. And inside of that team was a guy called Mark. And Mark is not a guy who's prone to difficulty and challenge. And, uh, but the problem is that Paul's team is one in which, you know, they are constantly being faced by challenge and trouble all the time. 
and eventually Mark withdraws. In fact, that becomes the point of disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas, being the man that he was, you know, believed that you know, they should extend their heart towards the young Mark and just you know, give him grace and mercy and extend grace and still invite him. And Paul said, you know what? I'm called to suffer, and this guy is not configured for suffering. And so Paul thought, Mark is not a good guy to be in this team, and that becomes such a sharp argument that these two apostles separate. In Acts chapter 16, so Paul is feeling a, a sense of gap, a vacuum, something needs to be filled because they've just lost Mark. And Mark, by the way, is not a bad guy. He wrote the gospel of Mark. He was a pretty functional guy, but just was not configured for suffering. And so in Acts chapter 16, Paul is coming into this region and he finds this young man called Timothy. Timothy already has a profile. Everybody already respects him. He is a highly functional believer. He really does not need, in a sense, you know, uh, to find a new profile by attaching himself to an apostolic ministry. But I think Paul finds a, a sense of connecti connectivity with this young man, Timothy, and a conversation happens, come over and be part of this team. But here's the issue. The issue is that he's got, um, his father is Greek, and so he was definitely not circumc circumcised. His mother, we know that, uh, you know, the line, his maternal, maternal uh, parent, parenting was absolutely great, and Paul does celebrate that. His grandmother and his mother were absolutely amazing for Timothy. But here's what happens. So Paul says, come over to the team, and Timothy says, yes, but he says, well, here's the thing. The call of God upon my life as Paul and the call of God upon this team requires that we are going to territories where we're going to be dealing with Jews and you are half Greek and the Jews are not going to receive you. And Paul makes a request, let me circumcise you so that you might be received. Now, it's okay to be circumcised as an eight-day-old eight boy, right? It's like, who cares if you get circumcised? You don't even know that you're being circumcised. When you are about, he's a young man. He's probably 1920 at this time. Um, he's, he's young. We know that when we read the book of Tum, uh, books of Timothy, Paul addresses Timothy as a young man. Don't let anyone look down upon you because of your youth. So he's definitely young, um, uh, but not young enough to be that vulnerable to undress himself before another man to be circumcised. But vulnerability is required at that point in time uh, uh, because... Actually, circumcision must happen. Not that circumcision was the prerequisite for salvation, but the mission was leading them to a place, to spheres and to territories where they needed to be configured, their image needed to be configured a certain way. And so there's a requirement that this young man be circumcised, and he agrees. He undresses himself before the apostle Paul and it does get circumcised. And the thing that we then see and the thing that we've got to see is how circumcision is a prerequisite for us to be altered by God. There can be no alteration without circumcision. When we are concealed, we cannot be circumcised. Where we hide ourselves within a context of a team, we cannot be circumcised. And so Timothy allows the circumcision to happen, not because it was a prerequisite for his salvation, but because uh, he recognizes the team he's getting himself into uh, and the kind of territories that they were going to, that they had to, you know, resolve um, um, uh, confusion and unnecessary issues with the Jews. So he gets circumcised. And out of that, so when he becomes vulnerable, when he addresses himself, Timothy, he is able to be altered in order to be fit for the team of Paul. So vulnerability is crucial for alteration, for God to form us, unless we are vulnerable in our spaces, LSA, in the spaces of brotherhood and sisterhood and friendships in the Lord. 
unless we present ourselves and are able to undress ourselves, not only before the Lord, but also before those ordained by God to touch our vulnerability, we will not be altered and formed for what is coming in the future. So vulnerability happened during this time. We had pretty deep conversations about ourselves. It's pretty easy to talk about all sorts of things and you can talk about the politics, you can talk about the politicians, you can talk about current affairs. But, and yes, we did have fun time and yes, we did talk about issues, but we were very intentional to have moments where we spoke about ourselves and that went pretty deep. And I think there was something amazing there and that really fast tracks, you know, time and it, 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 it eliminates the, the, the years and years that sometimes it takes for leadership teams to be formed under the hand of God. Vulnerability. If we are unwilling to undress ourselves, then we are not going to be formed in the Lord. Yep. So I'm just giving you what happened during the time uh, that we are away as the eldership retreat. And the first thing is relationship. Jesus appointing uh, the apostles to be with him and then to go out and to preach. But firstly, to be with him, the commitment in the mission of God has to be around relationship. Has to be around relationship. In fact, I want to read just around that. Let's go to John chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. Because I didn't read that for you. Again, about around the value of relationship. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. So we see, we see Jesus appointing these guys to be with him. The commitment to walk in relationship and to honor relationship. Absolutely important, LSA. I want us to read John chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. I didn't read that about, for you. Around the theme of relationship. Here's what it says in John chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. It says, the next day, John was there, was there again with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? So Jesus is asking these two guys who used to be the disciples of John the Baptist who are now following Jesus. And he asked them, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, Jesus replies, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. How amazing is that? That these disciples have been called and they're coming into, it's an introductory phase with Jesus. And there is value in, you know, you know in, being, in, in wanting to be and in wanting to see the place where Jesus lived. There's something about, again, I said earlier, that those times are unscripted when people visit you, especially when people visit you for an extended period of time. You can start well, in you know, a well-mannered. After a while, your true self shows up. So these were unscripted times. In John chapter 1, these disciples come and they go into the house where Jesus, maybe he cooked a meal for them, and I don't know what happened there, but he was with them. They were with him for an extended period of time. And, and, and the idea of hanging out, the idea of being in each other's spaces, I think is a very important value that came out of this elders retreat, which was reflected very powerfully because we were together for a couple of days, but which I want to embed in our hearts and minds, LSA, for 2023, especially after COVID, regaining the value of being in each other's spaces. Remember, we lost that during COVID, right? And if, if you've been doing something for two and a half years, you, after a while, you get wired like that. It becomes strange now to be spontaneous, yeah? To just show up in someone's house spontaneously. You know, not wearing a mask. We're wearing masks and we were isolated. And we want to come back to this, this idea, this value of relationship. These disciples 
did not simply want to preach with Jesus. They wanted to be where Jesus was. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to see his place. They wanted to hang out with him. They were not looking for miracles. They were not looking for, you know, the issue was not want to raise the dead with you. The issue was want to hang out with you. That was the issue. And that's what, for me, the last three, four days represent the value of hanging out, the value of being in each other's spaces, of, 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 of interacting unscripted, and of just enjoying each other's presence. When I regain that very, very powerful in 2023, because that is an essential you know, part of kingdom mission, as we saw in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19, Jesus appointed the 12 that they would be with him first and foremost. So the question is, who am I being with and who are you being with? You know, and, 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 and if we have a sense of common burden in the kingdom of God, how are we facilitating relationship around that so that we're a kind of company of people that enjoy each other's presence? Like these two disciples, they wanted to go and see where Jesus lived. They wanted to sit in his lounge. They wanted to see him cook. They wanted to see his space. You know, there's value in that. And the kingdom of God moves at that speed of relationship. We cannot, let's say, afford to neglect these values. Relationship. Relationship. He appointed them to be with him. The second word that reflects, as I said earlier, the last couple of days as eldership couples came together is the word vulnerability. And I want to read again Acts chapter 16. We sing a young man, Timothy, being vulnerable before another man. Timothy. And the thing that I want to highlight for us and that I want us to think about is that this man, Timothy, already has a profile. He is already functional. He's already respected within the region. He's not the one who's looking for something. It's not like association will all of a sudden elevate him. He's already a functional guy. He's already a functional guy. And yet, here's what we see. If we read in X, again in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5. Acts chapter 16, I want to read that scripture again. And so the context is Paul himself is looking for an extra member inside of his team um, uh, to, to, to join in because he's lost another fine young man, uh, Mark, who was just not configured for trouble. Mark is not going to take trouble. He can, he can write the gospel, he can write stuff, he can write books, but he's not going to take trouble. And that, you know, is a problem for Paul because he knows, Paul knows that he's called, his ministry is one configured for suffering. That came from the Lord. I am calling you to suffer for me. And so everybody that was coming into that space needed to be configured the same way. Needed to be configured the same way. Vulnerability. So in Acts chapter 16 verses 1 to 5, Paul came to Deb and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So that tells you the kind, about the kind of believer that Timothy was. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. A very powerful story. First and foremost, you see an apostle who's lost a member in his team. Right. And then secondly, you see a young man who's already functional and has a profile within a region. In a sense, he's not looking for identity. He's already complete. He does not have to join this team. And when these two men meet, there is some chemistry in the will of God that happens. And Paul extends an invitation to Timothy. Come and join me. And Timothy says, yes, but the issue is that Timothy is half Greek and his father, be, having been, you know, having, uh, you know uh, was Greek and, 
and, and, and so definitely Timothy would not have been circumcised. The Jews are looking. The territories of peoples that we are called to service need us to be configured a certain way. And when Timothy is invited and the offer is made that you need to be circumcised, he says yes. And so out of him undressing himself before another man, like I said, you know, the, in the Jewish culture and the law that God had stipulated, you know, a baby was born, a baby boy was born, and, and on the eighth day would be circumcised. That's not the issue. You get told about, you know, you were circumcised. When you're circumcised at age 19, 20, that's a big issue because you have to decide to undress yourself before another man. But Timothy does exactly that. And what and that shows the principle of vulnerability and out of which we sing the alteration and the formation of Timothy to not just be a good believer for the, uh, you know, for the territory of Lystria. He's now being you know, reformed to be part of the apostolic team that is being sent out by God to the global church. Those are two very different things. Who must Timothy become inside of this new team? He needed to be circumcised. And it tells us, LSA, that in the former environments, there are requirements in the new environments that we may have not had in the former environments. There are conversations in the new environment that we need to have that we may not have had to have in the former environments. As God moves us into a new space, we need to undress us in a different kind of way. Undress ourselves in a different kind of way. There are new requirements as we move into a new space, as God forms us and as God pulls us forward into his purposes. There are things that Timothy had never had to do before, which would have been to undress himself before another man in order to be circumcised. Now he has to do it to step into the next thing in his life. The priority and the principle of vulnerability. What are the conversations? What are the issues? What is the, what is the process of God inside of your own life? What are the conversations that you've never had to have in the, former, in the former environment, in the former season, that you now feel God is pressing and you need to have because you know that this is a requirement for me to step into the next thing God has for me? That's often is the case if you want to use the, the example of marriage, you know, Oftentimes, when you, you know, meet someone that you want to get married to, you, you oftentimes actually are required to have conversations you may have not have had to have just with your friends. But the principle applies very powerfully and true and truly inside of a context of a kingdom journey. Uh, Timothy was a highly functional believer, highly respected within the region, but now he's being pulled into a new space by God and for the first time, he has to undress himself to be circumcised. Without which, actually, he cannot be part of this team. Not because circumcision becomes a prerequisite for salvation, but because circumcision becomes a prerequisite for him to be relevant for the territories God was sending him to. So he has to be circumcised. And he allows for himself to be circumcised. What is the fruit of that process? What is the fruit of that process? As they traveled, in verse 4, from town to time, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders. Remember, in the context, the bigger context here is that the church is troubled. The bigger context here is that there's a doctrinal issue, interestingly, about the same issue of circumcision. And actually, Paul is on a mission to strengthen the churches in doctrine, in truth. And to bring them to an alignment because people have been preaching some funny ideas about in order to be saved, you need to be, you need to be circumcised. And so the fruit of the process, the fruit of Timothy being vulnerable and of Timothy undressing himself before another man and allowing for alterations to happen in some of his own life is that churches get to, to be strengthened. Is that they focus on the mission without the need to debate about the identity of Timothy. Yeah, we don't have time to, um, there are things in other ways that are unhelpful for the, for the territories that God is sending us to. And God will want to reform us, want to alter our image to make it acceptable or palatable 
for the territories to which he's sending us. And so the fruit of that process is that they're going to churches, they're strengthening the church as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Church gets to be exposed to the apostolic resolution of Acts chapter 15, which is the context here, really, the bigger context. There's always a bigger context. We learned that from Joseph, right? There's always a bigger context. The bigger context for Timothy is the, 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 the troubled church, the church that is confused doctrinally, where people were preaching in order to be saved, in order to be circumcised. But how interesting is that, that he has to offer himself in the very troubles of the church to be circumcised himself, without, not because it's a prerequisite for salvation, but because he understands that these people have to be able to receive me. What, who do I need to be in order to be received in the territories that God is sending me to? That's a big question. So it's almost like I need to withdraw from myself. And that, that question, you can apply that question to your vocation, by the way. To your career. Who do I need to be in order to be received in the territories to which God is sending me in the future? What are the alterations that need to happen to me? You know. What are the changes that need to happen? Not because I'm not great, like Timothy was already a great guy. But because I understand the same, the thing that Mark lacked, although he was a great guy, a great, he wrote a whole book, was a, a mindset for suffering. A mindset for suffering. What are the things that I lack that will disqualify me? So Mark lacked a mindset for suffering in a team that is called to suffer for Jesus. It's not possible, right? You can write a great letter, the, the gospel according to Mark, but if you lack a mindset of suffering, in a team that is called by God to suffer. It's not going to work, right? And that was Paul's issue. That was Paul's issue about that young man, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, Mark. And so Timothy is being confronted by this same issue. For him, because he's half Greek, it means that as an eight, year, eight, 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 days boy, eight days old boy, he did not get to be circumcised. But he's a highly functional guy. What are the alterations that have to happen inside of Timothy for him to be able to function into a future territory of the purposes of God? So relationship is the first issue. Jesus appoints the 12 to hang out with them and for them to hang out with him. Relationship, and we see them wanting to hang out with Jesus um, in John chapter 1, verses 30, 35 to 39, as we read. And then vulnerability, without which alteration does not happen. To be altered by God, you need to undress yourself. And nobody could have forced a 19, 20-year-old man to undress himself. He needed to offer, he needed to yield based on the value that he saw around the purposes of God. He needed to yield himself. The third word I want to give you, LSA, that I think reflects our time away and uh, what I feel inside of my heart is the word destiny. Destiny. And we've just recently spoken about predestination. The word destiny. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. So we've got the word relationship, right? I want to make that important inside of our lives. We've got the word vulnerability. Can't be altered by God for the future of his purposes if you are not vulnerable. Concealed people do not get to be altered by God. But if God is moving you and I into new spaces and new territories of his purpose, then we need to see what are the new demands and what are the new conversations that I need to have that I've never had before. What are the new demands of the Lord upon my life? In, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16, the word destiny or predestination, if you like, same thing, really. The parable of the workers in the vineyard 
It says here in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He even went, he, he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and stood still and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He, he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came, uh, sorry, so, so, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. So there's a a human rights issue going on here. There is a, a protest. Those who were hired last, uh, last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. So that's the issue. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last, same as I gave you. Don't have the right, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. It's an interesting story of, um, you know, uh, uh, industry and industrial relations and, and remuneration and all of those things. But the phrase that around destiny or predestination that I felt, I think for Mafa and Kicks, you know, functioning inside of the eldership team, is that phrase in verse 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. The issue of destiny. The issue of predestination. The issue of serving and working with a God who starts from the end backwards. Who always knows the future. And who's always moving towards the future according to his foreknowledge. Because this employer keeps going out and employing and bringing in people you know, but, and even in the, in the evening, it brings the last guys who just make it. But the issue is that they get all get equal play, pay. They are all recognized properly. And that's how the kingdom of God works. There is the issue of predestination, the last being the first. The last being the first. The last are not just out of circumstance. They're not circumstantial. They're actually flowing. Things flow according to the predestination plan of God. And so we want to seal that up in the spirit of, in, in, a, in a very, very significant way. That the employer keeps bringing into the vineyard. But that, that is not by circumstance. That is always flowing according to the plan of God. The last will be first and the first will be last. Yeah. There are things that God you know, always has for us in the future. And he works inside of our lives. The word that we use is the word prognosis. He works inside of our own lives based on the future requirements of our callings. Yeah. And so to have leaders inside of a team who have allowed the prognosis of God to work inside of their lives so that in a time of choosing, in a time of requirement, they're able to raise their hands and say, hey, God, we are available to serve. Yeah. But that, that is actually a, a reflection of God's destiny. 
of God's predestination. I want us to seize again, and we spoke a lot about predestination last year. I want us to seize this word for ourselves. The reality of this de destiny, of predestination uh, in a plan of God inside of my own life, makes me to flow and to move. If I allow the prognosis of God, the prognosis of God to work inside of my life, uh, uh, my life accordingly, you know, the word prognosis is a biblical word, and yes, it's a mythical word, but it's also a, a biblical word. God, you know, you know, God's foreknowledge, he works according to his foreknowledge. And so God looks at Robert and looks at the future requirements of the purposes of God upon Robert's life, and he determines the intensity of the workings of the Holy Spirit. In the same way that if you went to the doctor and he had TB, there is no other way to treat that except to go through a six-month treatment period, right? And within that, you know, period, then you are guaranteed that you're going to be healed six months later. If you dodge that and skip that and do funny business, you only make the situation a little bit more complicated. You're going to find yourself back in the doctor's room and requiring a much more intense medication. So God is working inside of Courtney's heart based on the future requirements of God for her. Which means it's a costly thing. It's a costly thing, LSA, to, to, to evade conviction and to dodge conviction and to run away from conviction. When God is working inside of your own life, it's because there's a future that he sees. And I think what we want to celebrate about these two gentlemen is that there's been a prognosis and there's been a journey. And in the right, in the fullness of time, they were found ready by God. Amen. Predestination. The last shall be first. The last shall be first. So, relationship. Jesus appoints the 12 disciples to be with him. And they want to hang out with him. They want to see his house. They want to see him cook. They want to see his TV. They want to sit on his couch. There's something about they want to be inside of an unscripted environment and just enjoy his company. I want us to regain that much more powerfully, LSA, inside of 2023. Secondly, vulnerability. The idea of undressing myself before God, but not only before, it's not enough to undress yourself before God. How many of us know that? You've got to undress yourself you know, to those that have been ordained by God to walk with you in the things of God. Vulnerability. Timothy, highly functional young man, undresses himself. And because of that undressing, he's altered and is made compliant for the territories of the purposes of God that were coming in the future. If you can't do that, he's not going to be accepted by the Jewish communities. There's going to be a, a dispute around him. And we want less dispute around ourselves and want to step into the things of God much more powerfully. So those are the three things, LSA, that I feel that are just in my heart around this eldership, you know, couples retreat that we've just had. Relationship, vulnerability, destiny. Make that your own, yeah, instead of 2023. Take that and make it your own. Relationship. I want to hang out. Make, make it your mission to want to hang out. Yeah? Can we do that? Yeah? I don't, just wanna, I don't just want people to preach with. I want people to hang out with. I don't just want people to raise the dead with. I want people to hang out with. I want to be able to visit you. I want you to come into my space. I want you... I want... I want I want us to enjoy each other's presence because that's the foundation of the kingdom of God. The relationship. And that, for that to happen doesn't always have to take place through retreats. You know, that can take place in our homes. Vulnerability. Undressing ourselves so that we can be altered in the presence of God. Destiny is that the last shall be first. God is always working into a future that he worked out in the beginning. And if we allow him and are you know, faithful inside of a prognosis journey, as the Spirit of God convicts every day, we're going to find that in the fullness of time, we are ready for the things of God. Amen. Can we do that relationship? 
vulnerability and destiny. And I think that's just enough for us this afternoon to, be, to deliver. Uh, we're going to talk about you know, the other things some other time. Relationship, vulnerability, and destiny. You know, I do want us yes, to talk about issues of stewardship, looking at Joseph and Mary, and how a young couple stewards the things of God. I started with that last Sunday. I want us to look into that because I think that's important for us. I feel my, God moving my heart back constantly back to look at Joseph and Mary. But let's celebrate relationship, let's say. Let's focus around that. Let's celebrate a vulnerability. Not a new word in this church. And let's celebrate destiny. Amen? Relationship, when I hang out. Vulnerability, when I undress ourselves before, you know, the, the presence of God and before our brothers and sisters. Destiny, you know, God is moving us. The last will be first. The last will be first. We can jump the queue in the things of God, in other words. God can make us to jump the queue. He moves us into a future that he preordained before time began. He can make us to jump the queue. That does not make sense according to the laws of industrial relations, but in the spirit of God, in the, in the spirit realm, and in the kingdom of God, it is very well possible that I can jump the queue. I don't jump the queue myself, but God can make me to jump the queue. If that is the will of God. Amen? Amen? Yeah? Relationship, vulnerability, and destiny. Let's stand. <clears throat>